Happy New Year, guys. Welcome to Locked On Marlins and welcome to 2024. Hope everyone had a wonderful New Year's Eve and New Year's celebration. We are coming into the year hot. We are talking three, not just one, not just two, but three potential offensive breakouts for 2024. Tons to get into. This is Locked On Marlins. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked On Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast I'm your host, of course, Peter Pratt. Hit me up at Miami Marlins underscore UK. Oh, guys, welcome to 2024. If you listen to the pod, make sure you hit subscribe, leave a review. This is your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. There is a YouTube channel as well. Make sure you head on over to there and hit subscribe. Also, uh, guys, we are starting the year thinking ahead. We're looking ahead. We're thinking about the offense. We're thinking how the offense can be better. And we're thinking about three guys. There's probably more that we could talk about, but I've picked out three guys that I think are offensive breakout candidates. They're all currently on the roster. They're all, you know, they've, they're in different stages of their careers. They aren't all traditional kind of breakouts in, uh, in many ways, but three guys to get into that if they all click, will give the Marlins a massive offensive upgrade. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at FanDuel. Sponsored by FanDuel, actually. And you can make every moment more right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And guys, how was your New Year's Eve? Did you have a fun one? What New Year's resolutions have you got as well? Let me know. Let me know what you're trying to, you know, what adjustments you're making, what personal development you're striving towards. What are you doing more of? What are you doing less of maybe in 2024 to better yourselves? Do you even think about it in that way? I don't know. For me personally, just to kind of uh, let you know, I had a fun night New Year's Eve. As a 40-year-old with a couple of relatively young kids, um, the days of going out on New Year's Eve and partying, they're gone. RIP those days. So New Year's Eve now is very much like, has been the last couple of years too, very much a quieter affair. Quieter affair where like the main buzz, the main like chaos happens in this household anyway during Christmas. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and maybe the day after too. It's always chaotic as hell. Then you have a few days where you just try to work out and clean the house. Then you get to New Year's Eve and we just, me and Tara, we just enjoy just like Kind of chilling. We we watch a film together. We drink a bottle of champagne together. We see the new year in. And that's kind of it. But actually, it's exactly what we want to be doing. I'm sure there's many other stories. And I'm sure there's been many other different types of events. You know, from when the kids, before the kids were around anyway, it used to be more of a party scene. Those days are gone. Um, but feel good for it. New Year's resolutions. What have I got in store? Well, I'm focusing on January 1st. The first thing is I'm on dry jan. So no wine, no booze, no nothing in January. So that's going to be tough. Um, I haven't been craving. This is the 3rd of Jan now. I've not been craving any drinks thus far, any wine. I do keep walking past the wine 
fridge and thinking, mm, could I, should I? No, it's January, Pete. What are you doing? Um, so that's the first thing, dry jam. The other thing I've introduced for the first time, I don't know why I decided to do this, but I have. Um, it seems like you around kind of the first of, you know, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, you make these resolutions. And a lot of them are like health related or fitness related seemingly. And that's where a lot of people go. That's where I've gone to. Um, because December is a really unhealthy month, isn't it? Where you're kind of, you know, you're just, you know, you're drinking away, you're eating everything under the sun. Like you just live in a pretty un unhealthy lifestyle in, in December. <laughs> so the other thing I've I've decided to do is at least, at least 30 minutes of yoga per day. <laughs> I am definitely not a yoga expert by any stretch. I'm only doing this yoga class in-house. So I'm, you know, I'm fired up to the Apple Fitness app and I'm just going to do 30 minutes yoga per day and see what happens. My flexibility is poor on the kind of 20, 80 scale. I'm like a 20 flexibility on the football manager scale. I'm like a flexibility two, probably. Um, I don't know if this is going to help it, but I feel like I'm just going to give it a go and see what happens. I, I got into it a touch last summer and really enjoyed it. The other thing too, I'm going to definitely be playing tennis twice a week. So you may, for those following me on Twitter, you would have seen like, there's been nothing happening in baseball recently. It's been really quiet, but tennis is like the season's about to start. We're in what I would describe as like the back end of spring training in tennis right now. That's kind of the best way I could describe it. So naturally at that time of the year, there's a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. And for those that don't follow tennis at all, you may know the name and I'm sure you do. Rafael Nadal. Rafael Nadal is back for the first time in a year. Big story in tennis. And, uh, you know, looking forward to the, the season ahead. But I'm going to be playing twice a week. Um, no booze, yoga, bit more fitness. Equally, I'm doing no social media after, like, at the latest 10 p.m., maybe even earlier. No social media late in the day. Decided to be reading more books. So there you go. A couple of things that I've committed to. One of the things, one of the books I've started on is um, High Performance Habits. So let's see if we can pick up some some information from that one and, and apply it to everyday life, whether it be this podcast, whether it be um, professional life, whether it be home life, you know, we'll wait to see, but few minor adjustments. Let me know what uh, you guys have got planned for 2024. As I look ahead to 24, firstly, I have to say I'm back for 24 on Lockdown Marlins. So, um, you know, looking forward to a season ahead. There was like significant growth on the channel last year. I appreciate everyone tuning in. I appreciate all the feedback as, as I mentioned on the, the final episode of 2023. As we look ahead to 2024, man, I, I have to say the Locked On Marlins goat, the OG, actually, Aram Leighton covered the Marlins in detail uh, as the kind of like head, you know, the GM of the Marlins, what would you do type of series that those guys are going on and have uh, got going on in just baseball. I must say Aram kind of pretty much killed that and um, really dug into a lot of the challenges the Marlins face. And he was <laughs> pretty... Uh, he was n not overly optimistic about the current situation at shortstop is one way I would describe it. Um, there was a few other positions. Maybe there's some challenges, but equally like Aram really dug into the Marlins in, in you know, a, what, a 20, 25 minute segment on that podcast. And that's why he's the GOAT. That's why he's the OG of this show. Um, but I'm back looking forward to a 2024 and the Marlins themselves. Man, it feels like a really interesting interesting year right now just to see directionally where they go they've made these moves all in the front office and how does that play out and how do we allow it to play out and what do they do the rest of this offseason like how close is this roster to being kind of done and ready to rock and roll 
there is a roster here that's capable to just start playing tomorrow, in my opinion. They obviously lack of, you know, they haven't really replaced Hoy Soler's stick. So I think that still remains the piece. But overall, like the roster is kind of there. And it's when I when I think about this in more detail, the Marlins have ended up increasing their payroll or keeping their payroll, but they haven't improved the the, the quality of the players. The reason being is all these guys, they've got a huge arbitration class. So they haven't really added, they've not added nothing in free agency. Um, in, in, in the big league free agency anyway, a couple of minor league free agents, but they've added nothing. Their, their payroll has stayed, you know, level, even though Hoy Soler's gone and a few other guys are gone. So effectively, they're paying the same as last year, but really probably gotten worse. And I liken it to, and I think I said this on Twitter at the time, the Mets had a really, a wild 20, 2022 campaign for the Mets. They had a really interesting campaign. They they did well. They kind of fell away a touch at the end, but the Mets had a good year. Everyone was then thinking, hey, what are the Mets going to do next? It felt like then the Mets ended up spending so much money to kind of keep guys. They wanted to keep Nimmo. They wanted to keep other guys. Um, like they ended up spending a load of dough, but they didn't actually get any better. Just the cost went up of the of the team that they had. And so that's kind of where the Marlins are at. Like, They've probably taken a slight step backwards. They're spending more money to do that because of the way arbitration works. And that's kind of at the heart of the problem for the Marlins at this point. It's like the budget is the budget being set, whatever that may be. And they don't seem to have a ton of wiggle room. And so that wiggle room may come via trades, which and definitely are and put forward some, some really interesting ideas. So go and check that episode out as well, um, for sure. The Fish on First guys have been busy too, pumping out articles. Uh, they had a roundtable article, which... I mean, it was a really good idea. Normally, those roundtables feel like they happen in podcast form, but the written version was uh, was an interesting approach on that one. And some of those questions they were asking in that article, go and check it out as well, were some of the things that are in my mind to talk about in podcast form. So I'll probably do that in the next week or two before, well, if, if nothing's happening. Anyway, let's do the first ad. That's enough preamble around 2024. We're going to talk about three offensive breakout candidates that I think. Um, could have significant steps forward in 2024 and help this Marlins offense. Before we do that, this episode is brought to you, of course, by our good friends over at FanDuel. Uh, and the NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel. It is America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is super easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like uh, live same-game parlays. You can find find bets in the new Explore tab, and you can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. Love that, a Parlay Hub. The best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. Fanduel, official partner of the NFL. All right, guys, back here with me, Peter Pratt, on Wednesday, the 3rd of Jan. 3rd of Jan, first episode of 2024. Looking forward to it. Three offensive breakout candidates. We've already covered my New Year's Eve celebrations and my uh, New Year's resolutions. Do let me know what you're thinking. There's tons of content being pumped out of there, um, not just by me and this podcast, more so by Just Baseball, Fish on First. Make sure you're following all these guys. Make sure you're just getting all the content around the Marlins and all the opinions. There's tons of different opinions, no doubt. Um, 
there feels like a consensus that the offense does need to improve. And one way for it to improve, if you aren't going to spend money in free agency or make any major trades because your farm's dead and you're actually looking to restock the farm, then another way to improve your offense is for guys currently on the roster to take a step forward. That's where we're looking now today, guys. There's three names. Um, it's a bit of a contentious list, to be honest with you. I'm uh, I'm interested to get the feedback and your thoughts on on where your, your head's at after, the, after this one. But for me, the number one breakout player, well, potential breakout, maybe that's the best way of phrasing it, is Jazz Chisholm Jr., Oh, I know, Pete. You can't have him as a breakout player. He's been an all-star and he's been a starter for, for for however many years now. I get it. Listen, Jazz Chisholm Jr., there is so much untapped potential. There's so much untapped everything with Jazz Chisholm Jr., to be honest with you. And really for him, there is like, he can have a breakout season, a career year, however we want to phrase it. There is a there is a pathway to that, and a, a pretty obvious pathway to be honest with you. Um, clearly, Jazz doesn't lack in in his own uh, you know the way he feels about himself and his game. I can't even think of the word, but it'll come to me. He he's confident in his own ability. Let's just let's just put it like that. The biggest question with Jazz Chisholm Jr. The biggest question is: Can he play one fifty? Or 140. Can he play 145, 150? Can he play a full season, basically? Can he not miss time from being hurt? That's the question. It's the question that now whenever you speak about Jazz Chisholm Jr., about anything on on Twitter and projections is he doesn't stay healthy. He's injury prone. It's fair. Based on the history, I completely get it. What I would say is last year, it was a freak injury in the turf toe situation where he stubbed his toe on the outfield concrete, which should have never been there and exposed. Anyway, so he had that injury. Freak injury. Um, and I kind of liken those types of injuries like, you know, Acuna's ACL. Like, a freak injury. It just happens. These things just happen. Things, you know, they're baseball players in the outfield. Like, they're athletic guys. They're, they're making plays. So that turf toe has been surgically repaired, as we've all seen graphically on uh, on Twitter on X um, via Jazz. So he's you know he's had surgery on that. Um, most people are saying that he he can't stay on the field, and for me, twenty twenty four is a year to demonstrate that he can. And it, I know that the turf toe injury came, um, but I do feel like center field, like you're not as involved, you're not having to play as many balls, and so transitioning out to the outfield in some ways, I feel can help him um, versus kind of throwing yourself around on pretty much every other play at second base. So I do think that that transition will help him. And this is the year to demonstrate that, that, you know, he can stay healthy. What I would say was more concerning from last year, from an injury perspective anyway, was the oblique strain that happened. It was quite soon after he came back from the, the turf toe injury and was out for, you know, I can't remember how long it was, maybe two weeks, ten, I don't know, two weeks for an oblique, let's just call it that. That, for me, was the more discouraging injury um, for, for, for Jazz last year. Because primarily that was, you know, his swing, you know, he, he, 
he's hunting home runs. He's hunting long balls. He's hunting balls in his zone to do serious damage to. And he has a very aggressive swing. And if we start to see oblique injuries more regularly, that's a, a really, you know, it's a huge concern moving forwards. And so for me, you know, it's, does that start to creep in the game? If it does, then I'll start to become more pessimistic. At this point, my sense is that some of these injuries that have occurred have been more freak injuries than things that are lingering and will continue to affect them moving forwards. I don't know. It's just my take on it. The next question with Jazz is, can he hit lefties? He's a lefty hitter. He hits well. He hits above average against righties. To be that 150-game all-star center fielder, Jazz has to hit at least average and maybe even above average against lefty pitching. That's how he takes his game to the next level. That's how you see Jazz Chisholm. You see him play 150 because A, he's healthy, and B, he's not being platooned. He's not losing at-bats to lefty pitchers. So if he can find a way to improve his, his approach, his game, I must say that low and away zone against Jazz, against lefties, it's it's ridiculous, to be honest with you. I, I, I mean, there's probably stats out there that would um, demonstrate just how ridiculous it is or not. But to the naked eye, you always feel like that low and away to Jazz against a lefty, he's always getting called on it. Makes it really, really difficult when you fall behind on a, on a blown call and then you end up chasing. We've seen a lot of that with Jazz. But, you know, that is the question mark with him. To take the game to the next level, can you hit against lefties? What we were starting to hear about last year during the season was Skip was a believer in Jazz against lefties. And that was giving Jazz confidence. Jazz doesn't lack confidence. That was the word I was thinking about earlier, by the way. Jazz doesn't lack confidence in the main. But there has maybe there has been something there against left-handed pitching, a lack of confidence or a lack of belief. Feels like Skip has given Jazz that confidence and the belief that, Jazz, we believe in you. We know you can hit against lefties. We want to see it, and we need to see it. So for me, that's an interesting one. He also has one of the best hitters in the game, the best pure hitter in the game. I'll just rephrase that, in Luis Arias, in the same clubhouse. And Luis Arias against lefties, so impressive as well. He's, he's an absolute stud against lefties. And so Jazz has got people around him that can help him. Obviously, Arias and Jazz, completely different games. But the thing is with Jazz against lefties, is it just a way of slightly adjusting your approach? I mean, I've, I've never played the game. I don't know if that's even possible. I feel like it could be. But just tempering your expectations against lefties. Ball in play. Let's just get let's can just get on base, Jazz. That's what it becomes. So do we see an improvement there? I think we do. I think we do see an improvement primarily because I, I feel like he's going to be trusted there. And I feel like it's something he's going to be heavily working on because he's trusted. And he knows he's going to be trusted. The final thing on jazz feels like I've spent a lot of time on jazz here, so I'll have to quicken the pace up. The final thing is that let's remember last year, he had to transition to a brand new position in center field. And it's fair to say early on, like it wasn't a struggle was as unfair. That's too strong a word, but clearly he was learning. He was learning on the fly. And what we saw is that as the year went on, the confidence grew again. And 
he started to settle into that role and we saw that confidence grow again. And Skip, speaking to the guys, uh, the Fish Unfiltered guys, talked about this with Jazz, where at the back end, he was becoming more of a leader out there and was actually starting to really enjoy center field. And so, a bit like we talked about with Jesus Sanchez the prior year, the change of position, I think, does have an impact on your offensive approach because you're so mentally burned by what's going on. You end up with, like, losing confidence, lacking confidence. It's all confidence. And so for Jazz, if he's out there, he knows he's the general in center field. He knows he's the king. He knows he can play it. It's going to have a positive impact on his offensive numbers, in my opinion, anyway. And we kind of saw that a touch in, in, in last season, like the first half and second half numbers. Like, the second half numbers were better. Not by a huge amount, but they were better. We also saw Jazz starting to tinker around with his stance. And it was, you know, it was more upright stance. Um, so Jazz is playing around. He's trying to find things that work. I think you piece this together. I think first, if he's healthy, then it's going to be it's going to be a career year for Jazz in terms of numbers and war and all sorts. Like, it will be. It just will be. Um, the question is, is how far can he take it? If he can hit against lefties, then the sky's the limit, frankly. The defense is sorted. Can he keep himself healthy out there? Listen, if he pieces it together, can hit against lefties and do what he does, steal some bags too, you know, you have an all-star center fielder there. We know that. So that's Jazz Chisholm Jr. Let's get into breakout number two. I'm going to not spend as long on this one because this is a little bit of a risky one. But my breakout number two is Avisail Garcia. <laughs> and I know you say, Pete, you can't have a breakout that's 32 years of age that's signed the biggest free agent contract the Marlins have ever signed anyone to. You, Pete, how can how can Avisail Garcia be a breakout? Very fair question. I'm just talking about this specifically from a Marlins perspective. I'm thinking, really, can Avi rebound? Can he find anything? Can he find a way to rebound from all the struggles he's had in the two years with Miami? And the que- the answer that I have really is, I think he can. And when you look at the, the previous two years, I'm not sure there's any positives, to be honest with you, from his first two seasons. He was overweight and unproductive, frankly. And, you know, there was a slight adjustment that happened at the back end of year one where he went onto the IL, lost some weight, came back. You know, he clearly was addressing the challenges um, and making adjustments. In year two, again, it didn't start great. We were hearing rumors like, you know, how long is he going to be given, et cetera, et cetera. Injuries got in the way again. Found it curious the way the year played out for him injury-wise. It felt like the Marlins just kind of stashed him on the IL, to be honest. Um, I don't know that for sure, but that was just the kind of, just my read of it from afar. I mean, I'm not close to any of the team and I didn't ask anyone directly around that, but it just felt a bit curious with Avi. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe it felt like, you know, he, he couldn't contribute or the Marlins weren't willing to allow him to try and contribute because they were on that run and the roster was kind of set anyway and everything was all good. I don't know. But let's look at pre-Miami, right? Abisel Garcia, he was a, a productive stick. Productive stick for many years. Um, Milwaukee and Chicago, like, Avi is who he is. He's a, just about above average stick. Um, 
when we look at what Fangraphs are projecting for him in 2024, they've got him projected around about 400, 450 um, at-bats or plate appearances, sorry. 15 home runs hitting around 240. 15 home runs hitting 240 and 400 at-bats. Like, would that be considered a success in 2024? Let me know what you think. I mean, it would be his best year thus far with the Marlins. Um, I'd still feel like that wouldn't be considered a huge success, to be honest, considering those at-bats will be in replacement of Hoy Soler, probably. So even though that's where Fangraphs is projecting him, I can see a pathway to him outperforming those numbers, to be honest with you. I feel like it's him, Jesus, Sanchez, and De La Cruz. They're going to cycle in the outfield. The three of them into the two spots, Jazz just every day in center field. Um, and with the salary owed, if the Marlins can't find a trade, like the Marlins aren't going to eat the dough because they're going to try and see some value from the dough. With that, he's going to be on the roster if he's healthy. And there's going to be opportunity because if they can't sign a, you know, a, a Soler replacement, then it's about, you know, maybe platooning Yavi. You know, again, injuries happen. Who knows what happens? But when I look at Avi Garcia, for me, the key thing I think about, and it's one word, is pride. I see pride. I see power. I, I mean, let's, let's get into some cool run-ins vibes. But it's about pride. And... Avi, he doesn't want to be a bust. He wants to perform. I, I'm I'm confident in that. There's no way that Avicel Garcia, you know, wants to just continue to be this bust in Miami. He wants to succeed, and he'll want to succeed more than anyone on this Marlins roster in 2024 and prove that he isn't a bust. So when I'm talking about a breakout and Avicel Garcia, let's take that with a pinch of salt. What I'm saying is, I can see Avicel Garcia, there's a pathway to him returning to what he once was with the Brewers. And for me, that'd be fine. And it would be a massive upgrade on where he's been the past couple of seasons with the Marlins. Will it happen? Is there any numbers to back it up? There is none. No numbers to back this up other than the history pre-Marlins. And with that, you kind of think a player is who he is. And okay, he's maybe had a bit of a rough start to his Marlins career, but a player is who he is. And with Avi, you just want to see him. You just want to see him back to the the career. You know, the the average one six two numbers. We'll wait and see. It's about pride. It's about putting it in and giving the opportunity. Maybe the Marlins will take that opportunity away from him. But you know, we'll carry on. The breakout number three is is a guy that I really like. And I'm just really interested to see what opportunity is given. But breakout number three is Xavier Edwards. Oh, boy. We have fallen in love with Luis Arias as Marlins fans. And everything I see about Xavier Edwards pretty much is Luis Arias. It's kind of Luis Arias light. But Luis Arias is the best hitter in the game at this point. Contact hitter anyway. And Xavier Edwards is just a straight-up contact hitting stud. Same mold as Luis Arias. Last year, he hit over 350 at AAA. Over 350 at AAA. In that time as well, he also stole 32 bags, four court stealing. So, and then the relatively small sample size at the big league level, he hit 295, Xavier Edwards. When you go back and look at Luis Arias' minor league career, 
they're kind of similar in some ways in that like Luis Arias before he was promoted to um, the Twins um, across double A and triple A, he hit just under 350, like kind of the same range the year prior to that, similar kind of range, over 300 anyway. And so like these contact hitters, you look at it, it's looking pretty similar. His minor league numbers, Xavier Edwards anyway, they're excellent. They are excellent. The question around him is, what can he do in the, in the in the field? Where can he field? Where can they find a place for him to play in 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 the field? In some is it infield? Is it outfield? For me, you look at his profile and the stick profiles, and well, his body also profiles as a up the middle guy, right? The Marlins right now they have a massive issue with shortstop, massive issue there. But for me. Prior to Peter Bendix, and so anything is subject to change, but prior to Peter Bendix arriving, they didn't allow Xavier Edwards to, to really have any opportunity playing shortstop at all in 2023. And AAA was shunted around, a bit of outfield, a bit of this, a bit of that. Um, obviously, at the at the big league level as well, moved around, mainly second base. Um, you know, for me, that's a bit of a bad indicator that, you know, Xavier Edwards is going to be a tall order for him to step up into playing everyday shortstop if in you know everyday give or take two-thirds of the at bats at shortstop. So can they work with him during the offseason and get him ready for shortstop? Possibly. Possibly. I'm certain that I heard him talking about how he had a bit of a shoulder issue last year and um that kind of hindered him in the field. Um but the other alternative to be honest with you if they don't fancy him at short and I actually think the Bruhan has got more of a, a lead opportunity there at shortstop um frankly the other alternative is they they just prioritize having Xavier Edwards' stick in the lineup and they look to effectively slot him into second base. Take Lewis Arias out of second base, slot Xavier Edwards in, Arias then either transitions over to first base, DHs, and basically you end up with Arias and Bell kind of mix and matching um, across DH first base. Um, for me, that is definitely... One situation that I can see, you get a you get a guy in the lineup. I mean, looking at the numbers as well, Fangraphs, Fangraphs, ha- they're seeing him have, as having a positive WAR. They've got him at 200 plate appearances uh, for 2024 projected. They're seeing him with a positive WAR at second base, defensively, Xavier Edwards. So, with that being said, there's a way to add a another contact stick to your order. There's a way to improve the second base defense because Fangraphs and the statistics around Luis Arias, it was a negative. It was a negative at second base. So you can upgrade defensively over Arias. He offers loads more speed um, than Arias directly, clearly. Um, and so you end up with better defense at second, more speed, similar contact, albeit not as good, more strikeout, definitely, you know, Arias is a better hitter. I'm not I'm not suggesting that Xavier Edwards is, is an overall better hitter than Arias. What I'm saying is very similar profile, but he does have strengths, different types of strengths than Luis Arias, but a similar stick profile. Arias can potentially slide somewhere else, and then you end up maybe placing Xavier Edwards down the lineup, seven, eight, nine, maybe the nine. I used to like that where they, the lineups would flip, and you then go... Xavier Edwards, Lewis Arias, and then bang, 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 keep going. Bruhan could be up there too. So they're all of a sudden at the top of the lineup. Could be, let's just assume they go Bruhan leading off, starting at shortstop. Arias 
let's say he's at first base and is hitting two, you end up maybe with Xavier Edwards at nine. It flips. He's got speed. Bruham then, can he get on base? He's got speed. Arias then, all of a sudden, he's hitting with maybe guy on a guy on first, second, or second and third. It's a really dangerous proposition there. Um, so for me, I think given the opportunity for Xavier Edwards, and it does come down to his opportunity, I can see a massive breakout here. Massive breakout campaign in terms of the, the defense at second, the speed, the Marlins need that. And I can see a stick, you know, a 270, 280 stick. Limited power, clearly, but I can absolutely see that. Arias sliding elsewhere, and the Marlins just finding creative ways to win games. Speed and contact. Contact and speed. I can see them going heavily down that pathway at this point. Can they get anything out of uh, Avicel Garcia? And really, if Jazz, as we know, if he's on the field, he's having a career year. If he's on the field for 150, it is a career year. The question is, what can he do against lefties? And if he can if he can take his game to the next level against lefties, then we are talking about an MVP candidate with Jazz Chisholm Jr. with 150, hitting against lefties, and just being an absolute stud in center field. Guys, good to be back. Good to be back in 2024. I feel like we got 2024 started hot. Thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listener of the day. I've been Peter Pratt, and I'll be back tomorrow as we talk about 2024 pitching breakout candidates. I look forward to seeing you then.